Because of the gospel, we were released and we were given brand new life in Jesus Christ. That's what that song's all about. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But this morning, what we want to do is uh, we always try to be sensitive to the needs that we have as a church. Um, like many of you folks, we watch the news. Uh, maybe there's, there's, uh, we checked in with people this past week as the storms came through our, our town and wanted to make sure that some of the people in our church were okay. And uh, fortunately, uh, as far as we know from all of our updates with everybody we've touched base with, nobody in our church was touched or uh, had any kind of damage from the storms, and we're grateful for that. But folks, we also are reminded of the fact that there's many others that weren't as fortunate. And so what we want to do as a church body today is that we want to break away from uh, our regular sermon series that we've been going through. And I think it's important for us as a church body to be reminded of the fact that just because you come to faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that there's an end to suffering. The, the reality is, is that we live in a fallen world and uh, there's many things that happen in our life that we don't understand. Uh, we can never begin to understand uh, God's mind. God's ways are far higher than ours. Uh, how can you begin to explain someone that's infinite, especially when you're dealing with people whose minds are finite? We could never begin to understand any of the things that have happened in our city over the past week. Would you agree with that? You know, as I, I read a story about a man that had, uh, he had gotten into a taxi at the airport, and as they were driving along, uh, he gave the, the driver the address that they were going to, and halfway through, the, the passenger rem remembered that he had a question he needed to ask the driver. So he tapped him on, on, on the shoulder, not thinking any of it, anything of it, but the driver, he screamed and began to swerve while he was driving the taxi. He hopped up over the curb. He barely missed a bus. He came right up to the de uh, department store window. He almost hit it, but he didn't, and he finally turns around behind him and looks at the passenger and says, you know, is I'm so sorry. You scared the daylights out of me. Uh, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I'm so sorry about what happened. Well, the passenger apologized and said, sir, it, it's clearly it's my fault. I didn't know that you were going to be, you know, scared when I tapped you on the, on the shoulder. Well, the driver of the taxi cab said, no, it's really it's my fault because today's my first day that I was driving. Uh, it's the very first day. You see, for the past 25 years, I've been driving a hearse. You know, as I thought about that story, life's filled with things that are unexpected, and it's filled with things that are unforeseen. Life uh, can be changed just in a matter of moments, can it? You can get a phone call from a doctor. You can uh, hear a siren go off, a warning. You can get a call, you can get a slip that you have to go into your boss's office, and life can be changed just in the matter of moments. And that's exactly what we've witnessed this past week. It was 12.35 a.m. on Tuesday morning when sirens began to go off, an EF3 tornado with winds up to 165 miles an hour began to tear through Tennessee. We know uh, that more than 25 people have lost their life in four different counties. Uh, Governor Lee had issued a state of emergency as hundreds of thousands of residents lost their power. Many lost their homes. Many of them even lost family members. 
The tornado left a trail of damage that stretched for over 50 miles. Allow that to sink in. When they looked at the trail of damage, they discovered that there was 48 buildings that had, been, uh, had collapsed as a result of it. 50,000 homes were left without electricity. At John Toon Airport alone, they reported their losses at being around $90 million. You had Nashville Public Schools reporting that there was damage of approximately at least $5 million. Watching the news and seeing the pictures and hearing the stories of people that have gone through an unbelievable, scary experience. It's really hard to watch, isn't it? It begins to make you thankful for the things in life that many times we take for granted. We're reminded of the fact that there is suffering in this world. There are people that lose things that are dear to them, people that are trying to pick up the scraps to their life, and life is so difficult. But what I think is important for us to do as a church body is it's a time for us to rally together as a church. It would be a shame for us to see the things that happen in our city and to sit and to not move at the response of people that are hurting. It's important for us to learn to sympathize, to be able to put yourself in the shoes of other people that are going through difficult times. People that are looking at their life that has just been literally wiped away. The memories that have been taken from their life by losing everything that they own. And it's time for us as believers, for us to to engage with people, to sympathize with people, to weep with people that weep. To begin to help them to pick up the pieces of their life and be a blessing to people. Do you agree with what I'm saying? And we need to pray for people like this. People that uh, are suffering, but we also, we need to be moved to action. We have a young lady in our church that works with uh, Tima. And what we've been trying to do uh, over the next few weeks is this. And I want to set kind of a plan out for us as a church body. This is what we're looking to do. We've already begun to collect items for a church in Mount Juliet that, that desperately needs our help. Thank you for everybody that brought donation items today. We really appreciate you doing that. But I want to tell you the fact is, is that according to this young lady that's in our church, she said, you know, the real need that we have in Nashville is in the coming weeks. Immediately when something like this happens, volunteers begin to pour into our cities. They begin to, people are, uh, are anxious to get out and to be able to help people. But unfortunately, they're not able to organize them in the way that they need to. She said, the real need that we have is in the next two to three weeks when volunteers begin to go back home and we need people that are local that will be willing to go and move out and begin to serve people in the community. So what we wanna do as a church body is this. We want to wait for those opportunities that are gonna come in the next two to three weeks and we wanna begin to mobilize because folks, people need the gospel. We can't begin to, to think or explain or understand the things that have happened in our city. Folks, when we ask the question of why, Unfortunately, the why question is never answered by God. When we begin to get into the the realm of suffering, folks, you have just entered into the territory of a man by the name of Job. That was Job's home court, so to speak. When you think of suffering in the scriptures, you immediately think of a man by the name of Job. The only person to suffer more than Job was Jesus Christ. Job experienced a tremendous amount of loss. And what I want us to do is, instead of asking the question why, which there are good answers for that, by the way, 
I want us to focus on the what. What do we do in response to something like this? What do we do when, when life seems like it's falling apart? The book of Job provides us some incredibly powerful principles for living your life when it feels like it's falling apart. And folks, we need to be, have answers like that because there's people you work with, people in our community that are suffering, and they need a message of hope. And folks, here's, let me, and, and I'm going to get to this later in the message, but I have to drop this in at the beginning because I, I know that this is a very difficult message to hear when we talk about suffering. Many of you have suffered far greater than anything I've ever experienced in my life. But suffering is such an important thing in the Christian life. Where would we be without suffering? But folks, the gospel provides hope in the middle of of a life that's going through profound suffering because in the gospel message, Jesus Christ enters into our suffering. He came down to a world that was broken with sin and Jesus Christ, he left the glories of heaven and he came down to be a man, to live a perfect life in the midst of our suffering. And Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross for our sins so that our suffering for eternity would be forever taken away. For those that turn to faith in Jesus Christ, you will never experience the suffering for eternity because Jesus suffered in your place. Folks, there is incredible hope found in the gospel. That's why for people that suffer apart from Jesus Christ, I don't know what you have to run to other than Jesus Christ. And other than the comfort that you can find in a God that enters into our suffering and walks alongside of us when we experience those times of tremendous hurt and pain. Let's look at the principles we find from the life of Job. The first one is this. We're going to look at Job's testimony. Job, as his story unfolds, he was a man with a a remarkable resume. He was a man of, of incredible character. He was a man that if you were to inspect his life, there would be nothing in the closet. Uh, he, he was a man of character. And what we find in the first three verses is that Job, it tells us three things about Job in the first five verses. The first one is this. Job, first of all, he was a righteous man. Look at what it says in uh, Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect. That word perfect, it doesn't mean that he was without sin. What it means is he was a mature man. He was a man of integrity. Notice it says he was perfect and upright, character, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That's the description of this man that we're looking at today. He was a man that, and you're like, well, why does God give us all these details? Well, God wants you to understand that Job is going to suffer, and it's not because he deserved it. Okay? You can write out beside it, Job was a a righteous man. He was a man that loved the Lord. He was a man of character. It says he was a man that lived in Uz. Uz is, you're like, it sounds like Oz, like the wizard of, no, that's a different place, all right? Nothing to do with, you know, the red heels. All right, no. Uh, He was a man uh, from the land of Uz, which was a city that was to the south uh, of the Dead Sea. Uh, Now it's known as Edom. But see, in his business dealings, if, if you were to talk to people that knew Job, They would say, man, when he says he's going to do something, what? He does it. When he uh, does business dealings, he handles it with integrity. He keeps his word. He deals fairly with people. He's respected. Uh, He would never do anything that had the appearance of evil. I mean, this is like Mr. Rogers here. This is like a guy that, like, you look at him, you're like, really, there's somebody that good? Job was a good man. 
Second, we see that Job was a rich man. Notice what it says in verses 2 and 3. It says, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Wow. And then you think verse 3, his substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now, this guy was like... uh, incredibly wealthy. He's like the Jeff Bezos. You know who that is? He's the founder of Amazon. This is the guy that was incredibly wealthy. Uh, If you were to look at Times Magazine, the guy that was the wealthiest person in the world, you would have looked and you would have seen the picture of Job on the very first person at the top of the page. He had amassed over 11,000 animals, okay? You're like, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, that's how they would, uh, they would amass their, their, their wealth was through animals. He had 11,000 of them. This guy uh, was wealthy, and it's a good thing he was wealthy because he had 10 kids. I mean, he had, uh, thank God, he was wealthy because he only had three daughters and seven sons. That alone just tells you enough. If it would have been seven daughters, not quite as wealthy. Sorry, ladies. And then, and I'm not going any further. But the fact was, is this man, uh, he had this wealth. It says that he was the greatest man of the East. I mean, this guy was loaded. And his kids were grown. There was no more diapers. This guy had life. Uh, life was going really well for, for Job when you look at this chapter. But notice that not only was he righteous and was he rich, but he was also a religious man. Notice what it says in verses 4 and 5. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one on his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, For Job had said that it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So you read this passage and you find that Job, uh, he was a man, although he was wealthy, he was a man uh, that loved the Lord even more than he loved his money. He felt responsible for his family that when they would have parties or gatherings that potentially they had sinned against God in their hearts so much that he was like, I'm going to offer up sacrifices for my family. He was a man that took the responsibility of looking after the spiritual well-being of his family. He took it very seriously. We're reading all this about Job, and you're thinking, man, this guy was incredible. Uh, he, if he, by the world's standards, Job was successful. By God's standards, he was righteous. He was a man that had it all. He was wealthy. He was godly. He was popular. And yet, when we read the scriptures, we find that in the middle of this great testimony, we're introduced to the facts that he's going to go through an incredible amount of suffering. Folks, this is what I, I need to tell you in our times. Please listen carefully to this. We have a health and wealth prosperity gospel that is being preached all over our country that tells you that if you have enough faith, if you live right enough, then you won't experience suffering. Folks, that's the exact opposite of what the Bible describes. You can live your life perfect like Jesus Christ. Live an absolute perfect life before men and you can still go through difficulty and hardship. The Bible says in, in John 6, it says, In the world you will have tribulation, 
but be of good courage because I have overcome the world. Listen, folks, when you live your life for Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you'll be problem free. As a matter of fact, that could be the beginning point of the problems that you encounter in your life. But can I tell you that some of God's greatest servants that you have in Scripture are people that went through tremendous amount of suffering for following after God. Let me remind you of some people. Joseph went through an incredible amount of suffering. But in the end of his life, he looked at his brothers in the eyes, and you remember what he said? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. He said he, what he learned from it was that God was still sovereign. He still sat on his throne. You have people like Paul experienced shipwrecks, and he was, they tried to kill him many times on his missionary trips. We have people like John the Baptist who was beheaded. The disciples, they all went on and they were all persecuted for their faith. Folks, listen to me. Just because you live a righteous life and you live a a good life and you try to walk with God does not mean that you won't go through difficulty. It's a reality that the life that we live on this world, it's difficult. And folks, many times it seems like it's unfair. hard. And we think of the people in our city that are suffering and wondering, what did I do to deserve this? Folks, listen, do not begin to get presumptuous and explain what you think God is doing at any given point. None of us know the mind of God. None of us know what's happening or even the reasons behind what's happened. All we can do as believers, as a body uh, uh, that's gathered here today is to begin to say, God, you're sovereign. You're infinite. You're transcendent, and we don't understand you, but we know that you have a plan, and we know that all times God's good. His character is unchanging. None of this changes that about God. Now, what I want us to see also is that not only Job's testimony, but I want you to see Job's test. Because what happens is, is after you read these first five verses, now follow along with me, the curtain drops, and there is another thing that's happening in another place that Job knows nothing about. What happens is, is that we just got uh, introduced to Job, but the second part that happens is this. There's another scene that unfolds that Job has nothing, listen folks, he knows nothing about. A meeting between Satan and between God about what's going to happen in Job's life. He knows nothing about it, has no idea, and that's what makes this story difficult because folks, we read with the big picture in mind. We think we understand what's going on, but folks, we, Job wouldn't have known or understood what was about to happen. The passage begins with the fact that uh, Satan had come from roaming all over earth. Listen, folks, Satan's on earth. He's not in hell with a pitchfork. He's going around earth with his demons, and he's looking for things that he can stir up, problems he can cause. He's combating the mission of God in our world. And they come together, and they have this meeting. And I want you to see what is said. God says to him in verse 8, let's look at this passage. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there's none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and sheweth evil. Now notice what he says about Job. His, his remarks and his statements about Job are this. Job uh, is my servant. There's nobody like him in all the world. This is a man that he loves me. And folks, when, when he tells Satan that, it's almost like he's painting a target on his back. 
Like one commentator made this statement, and I thought it was pretty accurate. It's like if you knew a jewelry thief broke into a store, and you as the store owner began to tell him about the most expensive diamond in the store. And folks, listen, God wasn't doing it by accident. God had a purpose behind making the statement about Job that he made. But I want you to listen to me about this. Satan was unimpressed with, what, uh, what, with the testimony of Job. You're like, well, why is it that Satan, what, what problem did Satan have with Job? I want you to notice the accusation. Did you know that Satan's name, it means accuser? Satan is going to accuse Job of the only reason why he really worships God is because God only gives him good things. I want you to look at this with me. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for not? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. You hear the accusation that Satan's making against Job? Satan is saying that the only reason why he serves you is that you've given him wealth, you've given him money, uh, you've given him health. You've given him all of these things. And, and, and because you've, all you give him is good, because Job lives life on easy street, why would he ever curse you anyway? All you give him is good stuff. And here's the question that's at the heart of the matter. Satan is asking the question, God, uh, I think that Job loves the things that you've given him more than he loves you. He's saying that if you remove the things that you give him, his health and his wealth and, and all of his family, Job will curse you to your face. The only reason he serves you is because all you give him is good things. If you strip away all of his comforts, he'll turn on you and he'll curse you to, to your face. Here's the question that Satan is saying. He's saying, oh yeah, Job served God in the sunshine. Will he still serve you in the, in the shadows? He believed you in the light of day. Will he still believe him at midnight? He sang praises when things were going well, but will he still sing through the tears? Oh, he says that the Lord is his shepherd, but will he still follow his shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death? He served God uh, when he had money in his bank account. Will he still serve God when there's no money at all? He was good enough when he had health, but what about when he has just a few weeks? Folks, that's a really important question to ask, isn't it? Do we really love God or do we just love the things that he gives us? Folks, it doesn't in any way diminish the, the things that we have. It's extremely hard and difficult to lose things. But here in this passage, what's going to happen is that uh, this test will show that in the heart of Job, God himself was more highly esteemed than anything that God had ever given him. Folks, what is going to happen between uh, this contest between Satan and between God is that basically what the challenge is, is this, is that God's going to get an open victory in front of Satan. Satan is saying, he only loves you because you give him stuff. And what happens is this, is that Job is going to choose that, that with his life, he loves God far more than any of the stuff that he's given him. 
And so here's what happens. He gives him the ability to move on the life of Job, but God gives him the restraint, and I want you to see what it is. Look at what happens in verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put, forth, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. The permission slip that God gave to Satan was what? You can touch his stuff. You can touch his family. But you cannot do what? You can't touch my servant, Joe. Listen, folks, when Satan moves, he can only go as far as God allows. He is working on a permission slip that Satan can only go as far as God allows him to. God's still sovereign. He still sits on his throne. And the fact is, is that uh, Satan could only go uh, to do exactly what God allowed. But here's the problem is that Job didn't know what was going on. Folks, this is a side of the story that only you and I get to read. Job has no knowledge and he has no idea what's going on. Job didn't deserve it, but God was going to allow it. And listen, folks, Job's life was about to be turned upside down and he had absolutely no idea what was about to happen to him. And folks, it's easy for us to talk about suffering when we're not the ones that are going through it. Nobody on uh, this past week would have gone to bed on Monday night ever expecting that they would wake up the next day and have absolutely nothing left. You see, suffering, it's easy for us to talk about God and the fact that he has a plan and he has a purpose, but folks, unless we're the ones that go through it, it's really hard for us to understand. It reminds me, uh, you've ever heard of Bill Walton? Bill Walton was a NBA basketball star and he made a very, uh, it's a funny statement, but what he said was this. I learned a long time ago that minor surgery is when they do operation on somebody else. You know, that's so true. It's really e easy for us to think clearly about suffering right now when we're not going through it. It's a different story when you're the one that gets the news and you're the one going through it. Folks, Job was about to face the test of his life and he didn't know that the test was this. When you go through trials and tribulations and difficulty and suffering, there's one of two things that will happen, folks. One of two things. Either a person will lean in to their relationship with God or they will be a person that pulls away from their relationship with God. And what was going to happen was this. You have to imagine the scene as we go to this next section and, and we find that the third thing that happens is we've seen Job's, uh, his testimony, we've seen Job's, uh, we've seen all of this and we're going to see Job's, uh, his, his tragedy that he's about to go through. We've seen his test. But what I want us to see is that it's now going into his tragedy and Satan and his demons are going to be watching over the life of Job to see whether when this thing occurs, will Job do what? Will he curse God? Or will he lean into God? Will he lean into God or will he pull away from God? Will he seek a resource and submit himself to God and what he's doing? Or will he pull away and blame God for what happened? Folks, that's where we find ourselves, isn't it? Now, let's look at this passage together. And I want you to use your imagination. You guys are like, no, we just had time change. There's no way any imagination's happening. 
I'm going to encourage you to try to do it anyway. Some of you guys are looking like you're drifting already. I'm doing a really good job today. Now, what I want you to do is this. You have to imagine the scene. Job's at his house, maybe sitting down at the table having a cup of coffee. And he has this big window that oversees his farm with all of his animals. And out in the field, there's the oxen that are plowing the field. They're getting ready for a harvest. They have uh, the animals, the, the donkeys are out in the field. The sheep are out in the hillside and they're feeding. The sun is shining. There's clouds in the sky. His kids are all gathered over at one of his son's houses. Uh, they're celebrating. Maybe they're telling family stories. Some funny stories about things that have happened in their past. And then out of nowhere, everything changes. There's a bang on the door. Somebody immediately shoots in. And there's going to be four different messages, all that come at Job in just a matter of seconds. Folks, it's life as it really is. Life unfolds quickly. When it rains, it what? It pours. When one uh, thing happens, it seems like it's a domino effect, and the next thing happens, and the next thing happens, and the next thing happens. Folks, that's what happened in the life of Job. The very first messenger comes in, he bangs on the door and, and tells Job this message. Look at it, verses 14 and 15. And there came a messenger unto Job that said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians, they fell upon them and they took them away. And they've slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. Tells them the Sabians. They were the ones that came in and attacked them. They, they had thought about the fact that that could happen. But there in the matter of, uh, matter of moments, he loses all of his oxen and his donkeys. And immediately, another bang comes at the door and another messenger comes in. Before this person can even finish his message, look at verse 16. And while he was there yet speaking, there came also another. And he said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and it's burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. So he says the fire of God. Some people think maybe it was a lightning storm. Uh, it had to be quite the lightning storm that would take out 7,000 sheep. All like that, only one servant was left. A third messenger comes and bangs on the door, and Job can hardly stand what's going to happen. The next messenger comes in, and look at verse 17. He says, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. Instantly, the wealth of Job went from where? Wealthy to poor. His bank accounts are empty. He's lost his business. He's lost everything. Job is reeling with the staggering loss of all of his fortune, his workforce, and he probably begins to think about all of these servants that have died. He's gonna, his, basically, all of his land is going to become a graveyard of burying all of these servants that have passed away. He's got orphans and widows to take care of. And maybe in the back of his mind, he began to think, well, at least I have my children. And before that thought can even come out, he hears another bang at the door. The last messenger that he would get for the day, verses 18 and 19. Notice what it says. 
And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. Can you imagine Job standing at the doorway, hearing the news that not only have you lost everything that you own, but even beyond all of that, your most prized thing that you have, your children. He's standing there grieving. His hands, his arms, his face down into his hands, and he's sobbing. He went from sunshine to shadows. He went from mountaintop to valley. And he has absolutely nothing to base anything off of. Heaven is silent. He has no explanation. There's no silver lining. There's no hope of things getting better for him. And folks, that's the way that many people are facing the times that they're in right now. No hope, no way of it looking any better for them. And it's hard. Imagine Job as these four men are, are, are giving him the news and his mouth's hanging open and he's crying in pain. How does anyone deal with such tremendous amount of loss and suffering? You know, one of the movies that's over the past, you know, 20 years, one of the most popular ones was the movie Saving Private Ryan. You know, in the film, the mom's at her, in her kitchen, and she's cooking food in a country house at the end of a long, dusty road. And as she's there and she's cleaning up the utensils from cooking, she sees in the distance as a car begins to make its way up the dirt road, and she looks, and it's, it's definitely a military vehicle. As it makes its way all the way up, she even notices she had four sons that had been off at war, fighting for our country. As the men make their way up, one of the most moving scenes was when they come forward and they say, ma'am, we regret to inform you, three of your four sons have passed away. One of the most gripping parts of the movie is you can't take your eyes off the mother as she's grieving over the loss of her three sons that gave up their lives for the freedom of our country. And immediately what happens is the plot is set. They need to move on finding her fourth son, Private Ryan, so that they can carry on the family name. But folks, her sons, they died for a cause. They died fighting for the country's freedom. And folks, when it came to Job, Job and them, they, didn't, they had a freak storm that happened out of nowhere that took all of his children. And for the first time, in 35, maybe 40 years, Mr. and Mrs. Job are without children. And they have zero explanation. They don't even uh, know why it's happened. It's confusing. There's no explanation. Folks, have you ever been there before where you're just confused? God, what I see doesn't match what I know you to be. Folks, that's a reality of life, isn't it? We don't understand. We can't even begin to interpret what God's doing in any given moment. And folks, it's dangerous to do otherwise. 
I can remember back when Hurricane Katrina hit. And you remember that the, I believe it was the governor of Louisiana came out and said, God is angry with us. Folks, I would hesitate to interpret what God's doing based on your circumstances. Because folks, the reality is this. We see one piece of a 10,000 piece puzzle. We have no idea what God's doing in our, in our city. But I can tell you this is that God is able to take uh, ugly circumstances and he can take uh, terrible, wicked, evil things and he can use them for good. If you're not convinced of that, then let me introduce you to the gospel. The most wicked and evil thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity was the day when Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and he came and he lived on earth. He lived a perfect life and they crucified him to the cross when he had done no wrong. And out of the greatest evil that's ever happened in, on earth came our greatest good. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, our sins were forgiven. When we returned to him in faith and we put our, our faith in Jesus Christ, you're instantly saved out of the greatest suffering and evil and wickedness this world has ever seen came mankind's greatest good. Folks, God's in the business of taking evil and wicked things and using them in ways that we would never even imagine. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, I want you to notice lastly that we see Job's triumph. You know, I was preparing for this and I was reading through a story. And most of us, you know, doctors used to go and pay visits to people's houses. They would show up and when there was somebody sick, they would show up with their black bag and there's a story of a doctor that went to this person's house and they wanted to check on their patient. The husband was sick, so the wife called the doctor. He showed up with his black bag. He walked in and the wife said, my husband's upstairs. So he went upstairs and he was up there for a little while. Then he came back down and he asked the wife, he said, do you have a screwdriver? She gave him a screwdriver. He went back up the stairs for a little while. A few minutes later, he came back down and he asked the the, the wife, do you have a can opener? And she gave him a can opener, and he went back upstairs for a little while. Then after a bit, he came back down, and he asked the lady, he said, do you have a hammer and a saw? And by this point, the, the wife's like, can you tell me what's going on with my, my husband? What's wrong with him? And he said, I don't know yet. I can't get my bag open. <laughs> and you know, when I thought about that, you can have a great deal of knowledge about a lot of things, but if you don't know the right things at the right time and the right occasion, it doesn't do you any good. Can I tell you folks that we need to change our mindset about suffering? You see, one of the greatest things that Job ever did, why he went from such a great tragedy to triumph was this. Job learned the principle that when life is falling apart, you need to run to the God that can put things back together. When you uh, don't understand what God's doing, you're not to pull away from him, you're to lean into him. When you don't understand what is happening around you and when things are dark, you run to him, he has the answers. And Job in the middle of his suffering is gonna do something that's incredibly powerful. It's gonna be beyond human reasoning 
Nobody could understand the pain that Job was going through. But in the middle of that suffering, he was going to get down on his face before God. And he was going to lean into him. Because God's the one that understands our suffering. He's the one that walks with us in our suffering. And he's the one that provides hope in our suffering. Let's look at this together, what Job does. His triumph. Because see, God can take tragedy and he can turn it into a testimony. Notice what happens. Let's look here together. The very first thing is that Job took time to grieve. Now, I have to remind you, and forgive me for bringing this up again, but you have to think about the passage correctly. Remember the deal that God and Satan had made. Satan had made uh, the statement that the day that you remove everything from him, he's going to curse God to his face. So Satan and his demons, what do you think they're doing while Job is responding? You think they're watching? I guarantee you they are surrounding Job and they're watching everything Job does, everything he says, and they're waiting to see because they're anticipating the moment when he begins to curse God and everybody can hear it. That's the setting Job knows nothing about the fact that that is going on. Now let's look at this. Look at verse 20 at the very first part. It says, then Job arose and he rent his mantle and he shaved his head. This mantle that he, it would be an outer robe that he took it and he, he tore it apart. It was a sign of the fact that his heart was broken. It was the fact that he was mourning, folks. He had just lost everything. And so he takes the time to grieve and he rips his robe apart. It's a sign of grief. And then it says that he shaved his head. Why would he shave his head? Well, for a Jewish person, that was their honor. And what he was saying was the fact that, uh, that he was in such an incredible amount of, of pain. He was humbled. He was at rock bottom. He had nowhere lower that he could possibly even get. Shaved his head, he rips his robe. And folks, what, it, what I want us to understand is it's important for us to grieve when we experience loss. It's important to cry, feel the pain, look at the pictures, begin to grieve through it. And folks, for those of us that aren't going through it, the Bible teaches us to weep with those who weep. We need to enter in and have sympathy for those that are going through a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. Experience the pain that they're going through. So the first thing he did was he grieved. The second thing that happened is that he surrendered himself to the Lord. As we get into this verse, I want you to notice something. Satan probably threw a fit right here. He is expecting for Job to stand up and shake his fist at God and at any given moment he's going to blame him and he's going to say, this is your fault. But Satan was surprised when he sees this next part. Look at what it says in verse 20, the second part. And Job fell down upon the ground and he worshiped. You read that and you think... Really? Why would he fall down upon the ground? Well, the idea is that uh, in this passage, when he fell down, he put his nose in the dirt. He stretched out his arms, palms down on the ground. He's fully lying down on the ground, outstretched. 
And, and what, what does it mean? It's the position of being humbly obedient and submissive to God. He's saying, God, uh, by, by outstretching, he's saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get as low as I can get, and I'm gonna just surrender myself because when you don't understand God, the greatest place you can be is in the place of surrender. The fact that I don't know everything, but God, you know it. I don't know where this is gonna end up, but God, you know it. And so he lays down on the ground and, and notice, can you imagine as Satan is watching the scene and he begins to see that Job is worshiping God? I begin to wonder, you know, I wonder what Job was saying. Wonder if he began to sing maybe a song like, great is thy faithfulness. Maybe a song like, I surrender all. But folks, the fact of the matter is, is that there was no blaming God. There was no bitterness, no cursing, no clenched fist raising it to the heavens. When your life is shattered, the best place you can be is, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I surrender and I know that you're good. Folks, listen, God is always good. We don't understand why things happen, but we know the fact that God's character is unchanged, unfazed by everything that happens in life. Notice the next thing. And folks, this is where it begins to get very practical for everybody here, is that he refocused his attention on what mattered. Notice what he says in verse 21. And it said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Folks, uh, those of you that are dads, uh, you can remember the birth of your children. You remember when they came forth, they were naked. And when, folks, what does he mean by that? He means that I, when we come into the world, we own absolutely nothing. When we leave the world, guess what? You leave the world with nothing. His point is that uh, we don't own anything. I, we have nothing. And see, tragedy has a way of separating the insignificant from the significant. It has a way of refocusing our, thing, our attention on things that matter. Listen, folks, and, and it's easy for us to say things like, well, stuff doesn't matter. But, folks, sometimes it's really hard when people lose things. But I'll tell you this, for those of us that have seen what's happened in our city, it helps us to refocus on what really matters. We have to learn from tragedy that happens in our city. And remember, what really is important is, folks, those loved ones that are around us. It helps us hold our children tighter. It helps us to be more thankful for the blessings that God gives us. It makes us uh, to tell our wives, you know, we love them more. We, we actually begin to care about the things that are really important. And folks, we really realize the things that aren't important. But I want you to notice lastly is that he remembered everything on life is on loan from God. I want you to notice the very last phrase in verse 21, notice what it says. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And these words had to be painful to say. But he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job acknowledged the fact that everything that we have, it came from where? Therefore, that means that everything we own it doesn't belong to us. 
God's put it on loan to us. We simply steward what God gives us. The one that gives us our wealth is God. It belongs to him. The one that gives us our health, it belongs to God. It's his. Everything that we own, he's entrusted to us. And so what Job says is, blessed be his name for loaning it to me while I had it. And blessed be his name uh, for choosing to remove it because I don't own anything. And folks, because his stuff didn't own him, he never shook his fist at God. He never blamed God. He said, God, you gave it to me. You can take it away. All of it belongs to you. One of the greatest lessons we can get from Job is this. We don't have to understand what God's doing to put ourselves in the place of submission to him. Folks, when we don't understand what God's doing, we rest in his promises, not his explanations. I want to say that one more time. When we don't understand what God's doing around us, we put our promises, our hope in God's promises, not his explanations. Meaning the fact that God's never going to tell us why it happened. We go to God's word. We get help from him. But folks, we recognize God's given us incredible promises to help us through incredibly difficult times. Charles Spurgeon made a great statement, and this is what he said. God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we have to learn to do what? to trace his heart, to trust his heart. Folks, listen. You're like, how could Job respond that way? There's nobody that can respond that way. Well, look at verse 22. It's our last verse that we're looking at, but notice what he says. In all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He never sinned. He never blamed God. He never shook his fist at him. He never said that, God, how could you do this? He refused to plant the seeds of bitterness in his heart because, folks, when you plant seeds of bitterness in your heart, it chokes out your worship. Either your uh, your suffering and your difficulty, it'll push you towards God or it'll take you away from him. And Job allowed for his suffering to draw him closer to God in his relationship with him. And, folks, listen. One of the greatest statements in Job was found in Job chapter 42, verse 5. And notice what he says. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. What did Job mean? He's saying, you know, before in my life I had had heard about God. I knew who he was. But folks, in the middle of his suffering, as he began to draw nearer to the Lord, he says, Now I haven't just heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you. Before I knew about you, now I've experienced you. Before I knew that you were there, now I know that you walk with me in whatever it is that I face. I have experienced you in my life. C.S. Lewis made a powerful statement. He says that we can ignore even our pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a a deaf world. What does he mean by that? Folks, you want to know the greatest way that God reveals himself to us is in the middle of our suffering. You see, God, a lot of times what we want God to do is we want him to take us down the hallways of happiness. 
And folks, the greatest servants, the greatest things that God does in our life, folks, all the people that have ever accomplished something for God, God has forged them in the flames of suffering so that they would come to know that he is good and that he can do anything and that not only that, but that God will teach you incredible lessons that you'll only know through those difficult times. And the reason why Job could come through it was because he lived life holding everything with open hands. Everything that God has given you today is on loan from him. I heard a a powerful story about a pastor named Ray Stedman, incredible preacher from the past. Ray Stedman would go and he would minister in different churches. And one uh, specific time he got on an airplane and he was flying to, I think it was Colorado, and as he went there, he, he was unpacking his stuff from his, his uh, suitcase, and he realized, man, I didn't pack a suit. And he's like, I got to get up, and I got to preach to these people. So he, he looked around, and he noticed that right next to the hotel was a funeral home. So what he decided to do, he went next door, and he talked to the funeral director, and he said, hey, uh, I'm in town. I'm a pastor. I, I'm going to be preaching at a church. You think that I could borrow a suit from you? And the guy was like, yeah, that's no problem. So that night he got up to preach. And as he was preaching, he, uh, like he typically would do, he reached his hands to go put them into the suit, and he realized that there was no pockets. What he said he realized is that he recognized that suits that come from funeral homes, they don't need pockets. And I tell you, one of the most powerful things that we can do as believers is recognize everything that I have, it's on loan to me. You come into the world naked. You leave the world naked. You can take nothing with you. And because of that, we value the treasures and the gifts that God gives us. Because, folks, all blessings, all good gifts, they come from where? Above. God gives it to us. Can I tell you, if you're here today and you're like, why would God allow me to suffer? I want you to hear my words quickly as we close. Listen intently. We can go through suffering. Why does God allow suffering? It's the same God that allowed his son to suffer. The same God that would willingly give up his son. What else would he not freely give to us if he would give his own son? And would allow his own son to go through suffering, to die on a cross. For what reason? So that you and I wouldn't have to suffer for eternity. So that we could have an eternal relationship with God that's free from suffering. We won't have to spend eternity in hell. If we turn to faith in his son, Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. And folks, the same Jesus Christ that died on the cross so that you wouldn't suffer is the same God that knows what it's like to go through this life of pain and he can help you in and through your circumstances because he's been through it too. I want to ask that we would bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close the service today, I wonder how many of you would say, Ryan, I'm going through some tough circumstances right now. Life's been hard. It's been difficult. Let me ask you, are you leaning into God or are you pulling away from him? How many of you would say, Ryan, I'm going through some stuff in my life right now. I really needed to hear that today. Would you raise your hand where you're at? Many hands are raised across this auditorium. You're, you're, you're going through difficulty. 
Can I ask you a question? Are you leaning into God or are you pulling away? Maybe you're here today and the storms and the tornadoes, it makes us think about the fact we need to refocus our attention on things that matter. How many of you are here today and say, Ryan, I need to refocus my life 